Hey, this is Mike Brake, and I'm the pastor at Freedom Church in Los Alamos. I want to say thank you for stopping by our podcast today. We really do believe that you're only one step away from the relationship with God that you've been wanting. So I hope the message today gives you encouragement, gives you some vision, so that you can take that next step towards freedom. Enjoy the message. What is the faith of the next generation worth? As we celebrate a child dedication, but we look at the youth in our city, the youth in our country. What is the, the faith of our next generation worth? According to some recent surveys, 25% of Americans would, would associate or call themselves um, a nun, meaning that they are religiously unaffiliated. It's a quarter of the American population. And back in 2007, that number was at about 16 percent of those who said, I'm, I'm religiously unaffiliated with nothing. So obviously that number is, is growing. And if you take that percentage and you're talking about Americans, that's, you're talking millions. For millennials, ages 35 and under, 35 percent of millennials would identify with the nun group. And if you think about it, a lot of those in those groups, they grew up in church. They went to summer camps. They, they know the story, the message of, of Jesus. Um, I'm not wanting to present a message of doom and gloom. Oh no, the church is in trouble. The church is on decline. And in some places it is. And in some other places, no, it's, it's growing and God's doing some amazing work. What I see is this as a pastor, rather than getting freaked out and scared, I just see it as a wonderful opportunity. I mean, the opportunity has never been more grand for us to be a light in a world that needs a lot of hope in a world that, that there's a lot of darkness and people are desperate and searching. And so to me, I see it not necessarily as a negative thing, but as a great opportunity, one that if we're smart, we're aware of and we position ourselves in such a way that we can address some of these questions that they're having. Because the next generation, they're asking questions. They have questions on their mind. If you have teenagers, if you're a parent of teenagers, you're like, oh, oh yeah, I know the questions that they're asking, Mike. They want to know what's for dinner right? <laughs> What's for dinner? That's the question they're asking every day. Or they want, they want to know um, who's going to be there? How long do I have to be there? Um, th- when do I get my phone back? How, how long is my phone going to be away? Or why can't I do blank? Everybody else is, is doing it. Like You're like, I know the questions the next generation is asking. You got to tell me. Well, they may be asking these questions. I would say that maybe they're symptomatic of some bigger questions that the next generation is asking. And if we're smart, we're going to think of these things and, and, and internalize and see how can maybe we address these. And they may never actually verbalize the, these things, but these questions are something that you see in how they are living out their lives. Questions like, where do I fit in? I'm looking for a place to belong. How can I matter? What can I do? I've been a youth pastor for for 10 years before being a pastor at Freedom Church. And if you look across the landscape of the United States, again, this isn't every church, but the the group teenagers, in many ways, could be like the modern-day lepers. Like, I just don't know how to relate to this group. I, you know, I I don't know. I don't want to touch them. They kind of smell a little bit. Um... 
And I don't know how to address some of these questions. And in many cases, they're met with judgment and criticism. Versus kindness and patience, which with teenagers, it's going to take a lot of kindness and a lot of patience. But that's the sort of stuff, if you read in Scripture, kindness and patience leads towards repentance. And so when we as Freedom Church started Freedom Church, I know we don't have a youth ministry. It's, it's on the horizon. It's something that we're looking at. But whether we're talking about the kids that are in Freedom Kids or a youth ministry that doesn't exist right now but will one day, oh, for sure we want to invest in the next generation. And we will not cast them out. No, we want to create environments where they can learn about Jesus on their level. And it won't look like church here because that doesn't quite necessarily speak to that group. We want them welcomed and accepted and loved, a place that they want to come back week after week after week. That's our heart for our children's ministry. But another question that the next generation is asking is, why should I believe? Like they're wanting a deeper faith, but why should I believe in this Bible thing? The same uh, survey that I, I read, but... Uh, it says that 70% of the nuns, those who say I'm religiously unaffiliated, see the Bible, Bible as completely irrelevant. It's a myth. It's a legend. It's a fairy tale. In some cases, they may even see the Bible as harmful. And if you were to ask, you know, on a, on a landscape for just even Los Alamos, why don't people come to church? One, one reason is it's just, one, it's, it, they don't even know we exist. It's, if you're talking about Freedom Church, a lot of people are like, I didn't even know this was a church. That's one, it's just, in, in a sense, ignorance in the sense of we don't even know the church exists. But two, for the broad range of people, it's completely irrelevant. Whether it's been something that they experienced in the past when they grew up in church, or they saw the way Christians were living, and they're like, if that's God... I want nothing to do with it. And they're wanting a deeper faith, but at the same time, it seems irrelevant. And for some of you, when I talk about the nuns, this isn't a statistic. It's a little bit more personal than that. For some of you, it might be you in the room. You're like, that's me, a nun. And I'm glad you're here. I am so thankful that you're here. For some of you, it's your kid. Or maybe it's your grandkid. I want them back. Because I think maybe they might have stepped away from Christianity, not knowing what they are stepping towards. So when we started Freedom Church, it's a little bit of a vision casting sermon today. I want to talk about reaching the next, reaching the next generation. But I want you to know a little bit about the heart of this church. We wanted to create a church where unchurched people feel welcomed. I wanted to create a church where church people want to come, but you know the, 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 the nun next to you or the hurt person next to you or the seeking person in your cubicle or your neighbor or your friend or your family member, and we wanted to create a place where you said, hey, I think you would feel welcome here. I want to bring them here. And so we focus on creating environments, kind of three things on a Sunday morning. At least we want an appealing environment. Like I know we're meeting in a school. Like it's like it's a gym, it's a school, it is what it is. Yet at the same time, 
we're going to try to create it in a way that's a little bit appealing, not only to the kids in there, but to the people in the room here. We want to create engaging communication. Like, I think you, you shouldn't be bored coming to church. Uh, I think it should be engaging. I think the Bible applies to every area of our lives. But I also think it should be helpful. Like you should be able to walk out of here today and every Sunday, and I'm working on this as a communicator and things, but you have some baggage that you brought in here, and I want you to get some handles that you can carry with you and say, you know what, I can, I can work on that. I think I can take one thing here, and that's helpful to me. That's the part, and a lot of you get this. You've understood this, and you've started investing in friends or friends that you've already been investing in and just loving on people. When I say you invest in your friends, it's just love people. And then when the time's right, you can invite them to come. And many of you have done that. We started with a group of 20 in a home. And we've continued to just grow and grow and grow because God's working in people's lives. God's working through you in your lives. And you get this. So with this alarming rate of nuns growing, what do we do? How, how do we approach this, this challenge to say, how do we address this? Do we just throw our hands up in the air and just smack them with the Bible and say, read this? I don't think that's working. I don't think that's working. That's why many of us left the church. <laughs> Let me ask you this question. What's the foundation of Christianity? What is the foundation of Christianity? Some of you might say it's the Bible. If you, um, if you want to go church history, the Reformation, about five years ago, Martin Luther uh, goes to and, and like puts the 99 Thesis on the, uh, on the wall, and you have the Protestant Reformation, and so you have this break from Catholicism. And one of the things in there was like, Scripture alone has the authority. That's it. Like, the Bible is the final authority. I don't, I don't need the Pope. I don't need man to, to, to interpret this. Scripture has the authority in our lives, and that's a good thing. That's actually a good thing. We, we want that because we say, hey, Bible, that's the word of God. It has the final authority. If I'm going to say, hey, what's right, what's wrong, I'm going to go to Scripture. But for some of us, we'd say the Bible is the foundation of Christianity. You know, you might have grew up with an uncle or a dad or maybe, say, you know, Bible says it, that settles it. You know, that's our marching orders. Bible says it, that settles it, and I'm good to go. And if that's you, that's great. But in the face of the generation that we're trying to reach, Bible says it, it's irrelevant. Bible says it, I don't want it. Whatever, whatever next statement you're going to say after the Bible says, they've immediately just turned off and saying, I'm not going to listen to anything else you're going to say because I don't want anything to do with that book or that religion. So the Bible says it, that settles it, uh, may not work. So what I want to suggest today is not necessarily adjusting your beliefs, because I don't believe the Bible is the foundation of Christianity. And you're like, I, do I need to leave right now? <laughs> Let me, I'll explain. Let me, I'll explain. I'm not saying you need to adjust your beliefs on the Bible. I believe the Bible's true. I'm saying maybe, maybe there's a better approach. Maybe we need to adjust our approach... Maybe we need to adjust our approach, as we'll see in a minute, to like those first Christians. In the very first century, how did they change the world? When all, everything was against them, 
They started with a group of about 100 people. And they changed the world. And they had a different approach. And I want to show it to you today. Because it's the heart behind many churches that are reaching this next generation. It's the heart behind Freedom Church and how I believe we're going to reach this next generation is a different approach. One that anchors to an event, not a book. One that is fueled by something happened and not necessarily a book. Because the next generation, they're asking these questions, and you are too. We're asking this for this series, Red or Green. And you guys, are, you guys are asking some phenomenal questions. You're submitting questions for this series, and they're blowing my mind. But a lot of your questions focus on the Bible. And they're like, hey, what about this Noah guy? What about this ark thing? I mean, that just seems so radical and so strange. Like, how can I believe that, Mike? What about this Jonah guy getting swallowed by a whale for three days? Like, that is so far, like, hard to, to know. And then the, you got... You got science and then you got this creation thing, six days, like which is it? And if it's just in six days create, like how old is the earth? These things are really, really hard. And that you're pointing to some things in scripture that are, that are questionable. And I want to say that's not the foundation, the anchor of Christianity. Because a lot of the talk, if it says, as the Bible says it, that settles it. That type of language has caused a lot of atheists, has caused a lot of scholars to say, if I can poke a hole in the Bible, if I can poke a hole in creation, if I can poke a hole in, in the virgin birth, anything in Scripture, if I can poke a hole in it, as the Bible goes, so goes Christianity. So if I can poke a hole in one area, then I can question the whole thing. I remember in college, I took a history of Christianity class. It, it would have been better titled, Let's Disprove Christianity. And as a college kid, I was not prepared for this. And so he would every day would try to poke holes in the Bible, try to poke holes in the Bible, try to poke holes in the Bible. There was one where he talked about Mary, and he questioned whether Mary was a virgin. He, he interpreted the, the Greek to say it was, she was a young woman, said nothing about a virgin. So I'm like, I'm struggling. And because of that, I started to question, well, maybe this whole thing, I don't believe the whole thing. What I want to suggest to you today is I'm not trying to adjust your belief in the Bible. I believe in the Bible. Every part of it. It is the authority in my life. I want to suggest a different approach. One like the first century Christians. And it's like this. I want to show you three examples. One is Thomas. We looked at him last week. He was one of the 12 disciples. After Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to the disciples. They were in a small room. It was locked. They were scared that Sunday night of the resurrection. He comes in and he shows up to them. Thomas was not there. So it picks up in John 20, 24. It says, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, Thomas, it is written that Jesus is alive. No, no. What did they say to him? Not it is written. They said, we have seen the Lord anchored to an event. Thomas then replies, well, until I, until I read about it, until I hear about it, then I'll believe in this thing. No, Thomas's response, if you know anything about Thomas, was what? I better see it. I better touch this thing. 
If something happened, I don't want to read about it. I better see this thing and experience it for myself. It wasn't anchored in it was written. It was anchored in something happened, Thomas. And we saw it. On the day of Pentecost, this group of 100 explodes to 3,000. They're in Jerusalem. Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, preaches a sermon. Acts chapter 2. Listen to what he says. This was Peter who denied Jesus. Okay, Peter is like, I don't know the guy because I'm next on the chopping block. This is Peter who was locked in the room the night of the resurrection, still locked in the room because they're all afraid of what might happen. This is about 40, 50 days later. I can't remember the exact number. Peter, who was afraid, who had denied Jesus, now he's talking. His head's still on the chopping block, by the way. People of Israel, listen. God publicly, not privately, publicly, in front of everybody. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him. As you read about. No. As you well know. You know it. You saw it. You were there. God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of the lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. He's like, you guys were there. Steve, I saw you. <laughs> you were one of them. Joe, you were there too. He's like calling them out saying, you saw this thing. You saw him live. You saw him die. And then in verse 32, God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses. We saw this thing. Something happened. 3,000 people got saved after he preached that sermon, Scripture says. Why so many if it didn't happen? Why so many if, 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 it, if all of this is is a lie, if it's a myth and a legend. This Christianity would have never made it out of, not even the first century, but just even out of Jerusalem here, because they would have been like, no, 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 no. We're all here. We saw this thing. We saw him die. Uh, and, and Peter, he's still there. No. They could not deny everything they had seen and heard, because Christianity is anchored to an event. Our epic story starts with an empty tomb on a Sunday morning when a dead man rose and was alive again and the stone rolled away. And then he said, hey guys, everything I've been living for, everything I've been telling you about, it's, it's true, like it's happening. And their eyes and their ears and their minds were just open finally to saying, ha ha, we know what this is. I love it. Hey, I'll take any amens, ahas, claps. I'm telling you, the more you talk, the more excited I get and just helps me out. I'll take it any day, any time. I'll give you one more. I'll give you one more. Paul. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. Paul used to kill Christians. He said, hey, if you're, if you're a Christian, I'm going to arrest you. We're going to persecute. We want to wipe you off the map. He was on his way to arrest and persecute more Christians. And then he met Jesus. 
the resurrected Jesus. And he went from one day, his mission on that day was to kill and persecute Christians to meeting Jesus and events. And then now he was the leading evangelist. Not because it was written, but because it happened. And this is what Paul says. This isn't Mike's words. This is kind of the basis of what I'm saying is maybe our foundational approach to reaching the next generation isn't so much it is written as it is something happened. And Paul said this. He says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then all, all of our preaching is useless. And your faith is useless. Christianity hangs on an event. That's it. That's it. He says if that event did not happen, go somewhere else. Oh, but if it did, game on. If it did, then that changes everything. That changes how I live, what I say, what I live for. My per- Everything changes and hinges on Sunday morning when Jesus rose from the dead. Christians, that's what we celebrate, but that's where we anchor our faith in this. I want the next generation to know this. That's what I want. I want to know if, they walk, if they're walking away, if they want to walk away, not our choice, but I want them to know that they're, they're not walking away from a book. They're not walking away from a, a, a hurt. They're not walking away from a, a rules. They're walking away from an event. They're walking away from a person named Jesus who was God, who lived. And these people witnessed the way he lived. They saw him die and they saw him rise from the dead. Let me say it another way. When I was born, so thankful for my mama. They had a piece of paper that documented my birth called a birth certificate. Now, when people came to the hospital, they heard about this new baby, Michael Allen Brake, born December 3rd, 1980. Do you think they went and said, hey, let me look at the document? Or did they say, well, let me see that cute little baby, that ugly little baby? I hope they went to go see the baby. You ask my mom, what does she love more? Does she love the documents? Or does she love the baby? The baby, yes! I love the document. I need the document for a lot of things. And the document of the Bible, again, if you think I'm anti-Bible, you're totally missing this and you do not know me. I will preach the word. I will preach scripture the best I can. But, but understand, everything hinges on the baby, <laughs> the man, Jesus, the God, the Savior of this world. And that's where I anchor my faith is in that. I'm suggesting we adjust our approach and we anchor it in there. It's okay to ask the questions about other things, but I'm going to anchor on that. So what is the Bible then? What is the Bible? You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You got James. You got Paul writing all these things. Why do we, why do we take them seriously? We take those seriously not because they're in the Bible. 
they are in the Bible because early Christians took them seriously. Those first Christians said, hey, Matthew, he was one of the 12. He saw Jesus do all these things. Saw him live, saw him die, saw him resurrected. Let's hear what he has to say. And Matthew's like, hey, they need to know this. Writes it down. John, same thing. John was one of the guys. Mark. Mark wasn't one of the 12, but what we know about Mark is that him and Peter kind of hung out. So we, we, we believe that, in a sense, Peter was dictating to Mark a lot of Peter's accounts with Jesus. We don't know that for sure, but we're, that's kind of the, the, the feel of Mark, is that it's Peter's behind that. And then you have Luke. If you read the very first verses of Luke, he, he wasn't one of the 12, but he was like, hey, I went and interviewed the, the, the eyewitnesses to this thing. We have such a great birth narrative of Jesus in Luke. The idea is, who did he go to to learn about the birth of Jesus in such great detail? <gasps> Mama. Mary was there. And so Luke says, hey, I, I'm, I went to all the eyewitnesses to investigate this thing. And this is what the eyewitnesses say is true. And then you have James. He, he, he writes a letter called James. James is known as the brother of Jesus. And his introduction is like James, the servant, the slave of Jesus. I don't know what your brother or sister has to do to convince you that they're God. <laughs> Think about that. What did, and, 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 and in the Gospels, what I love about it is when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it talks about Jesus' family. It says they all thought he was crazy. They're like, this guy, like, he's our brother, but he's weird, and we, you know, we don't believe him. Until, what do we anchor our faith in? Until the Sunday morning resurrection, and now James says, game changer. My brother who I thought was crazy, now I see this thing, and it changes everything. He's my Lord and my Savior. Amazing. Amazing. We don't believe in these books or follow these books because they're in the Bible. We take them seriously because the first Christians said, no, these are the guys that are knowing. And, these, and, and it's right. Because anything that was written about Jesus that they were like eyewitnesses of that wasn't right got rejected out of the church. And finally, it got so standardized that, yes, in about the, or about the 300s or so, they said, hey, these books that we've been studying, we've rejected all the bad ones, the good ones that we've been following for so long. Let's just, let's just call it what it is. This is it. This is the story. It's how we got our Bible. Not, not some group of white dudes in some back room just making stuff up. It's followed from generation to generation, and now it's in our hands. And now it's in our hands to pass on to the next generation. I want the next generation to know about the love of Jesus. I want them to know why they can anchor their faith in Jesus. And it's because of the life that he lived, his death on the cross that paid for our sins, and he conquered death when he rose from the dead. That's why. That's why. I don't want you to take your eye off the ball as to why we do what we do here. And when you have doubts, and you will have doubts, it's okay to have doubts. It's what we've been talking about in this series. But I want you to anchor your faith in the right spot. It's why we do what we do. Because you have a you <laughs> that, that needs to hear about Jesus in the bus next to you, and the seat next to you on the bus, and the cubicle next to you. 
you have a neighbor, you have a classmate. In the next generation, they're going to be the ones, if we want to exist in 25 years, they're going to be the ones leading the way. It's not us. We got a short time span to get this message out and then they're going to lead the way. We got to anchor them on that right foundation. So you say, what do I do? If you're a regular here, thank you for those of you who get this and you've been serving faithfully, you've been giving faithfully, and you understand the urgency and importance of this mission. And for many of you who are new to us, we need you. We got a big mission. It's an important mission, and it's going to take all of us working together, taking our next steps. So you say, what do I need to do? We say it like this. We take next steps together in our, in our relationship with Jesus together. Take your next step, whatever that is for you. For some of you, your next step might be getting baptized. Not because you have to, but Jesus said, Jesus said this. He says, uh, he came and told his, told his disciples, he says, I've given all authority in heaven and on earth. He has all authority. Jesus does. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptize them. The next generation needs to see you as a witness, saying, this is, this is how I'm going to celebrate my relationship with God, is saying, I'm going to declare publicly, this is who I'm putting my faith in. And that's how Christians from the very beginning have been celebrating that decision to say, I'm going to give my life to Christ. Some of you, your next step's that. Some of you, maybe your next step's giving. Maybe that's an area where you're like, no, that's mine. But maybe God's saying, hey, instead of approaching me with a closed fist, why don't you open up everything to me? Trust me in this. Maybe for some of you, it's serving. That's how you lead is through serving. I would say just of all of these things, I don't want to guilt anyone into doing anything, but if you want to know more about this church and how you can get involved and understand God's purpose and plan for your life, we have a thing called Growth Track. There's a sign right here that says Next Steps, and you can sign up for a Growth Track. It's a two-hour class, but we believe God has a unique plan and purpose for your life. You can learn about that. You can learn about what do we believe as a church, what's our vision, how can I get involved, how can I take this mission outside these doors. I would, say, I would say start there. When the service is done, you can sign up and we'll get you in contact and we can, we can start that conversation. That first century Christian, they faced persecution and death when they walked out these doors for believing what they believed, for anchoring their faith in Jesus but they also changed the world. It happened once. It happened once. Freedom Church, I'm crazy enough to believe it can happen again. I really do. I really do. That's my heart. For you to know and anchor your faith in, the, in Jesus Christ and to be able to go and tell other people about it out there. So with that, let's stand and we're going to pray. Thank you again for listening to the podcast at Freedom Church in Los Alamos. A few next steps that you can take coming out of this. One is head to our website and let us know just exactly how we can help you take your next step. 
Also, if we have had a positive impact in your life or in your family, and you want to partner with us financially, you can go to our website and click Give. That will get the message out so we can impact more people through this ministry. And finally, click the subscribe button. That way you know you get the latest content from the podcast, as well as rate it, review it. That will help get the message out to others. Hope you have a a wonderful week. Thanks again for listening.